before they... What is nothing? Now that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Oh, hi. Welcome to That's Deep, Bro. Serious questions with silly people. I like this music. I'm Christina Pajitsky. And uh, you know what? Normally, I have a guest. But as luck would have it, (laughs) I'm a comedian, man. I got a wacky life. I got wacky scheduling. And it just didn't come together this week. And I I didn't want to leave you guys without something. And I thought... You know what? For Christ's sake, I talk for a living. I got to be able to pull together a podcast on my own. And I got a lot of stuff to say. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, in my own life. And you know what? Maybe it's time you and me got real, like Garth Brooks on Facebook. Maybe let's talk about raw stuff, neat stuff, slick stuff. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen um, Garth Brooks's social media page, but I highly recommend it. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to do that. If, Hey, listen, let's just get the business out of the way and then we can have this dialogue. Uh, if you want to support my show, you can do this. You can do your Amazon shop shopping through my website. That's, uh, that's your mom's house pro. No, that's tpropodcast.com. Clip on, clip. God damn it. Click on my Amazon banner and do your shopping as you normally would. And that helps. Uh, give me some money, money to my show. Why can't I talk about this? I don't know. It's so funny. It's it's when it comes down to business. I'm like, I can't ask people for money. That's terrible. <laughs> uh, also, hey, I have a comedy album called Man of the Year. And um, I'm selling the first 100 copies, the physical copies signed on thatsepropodcast.com and also on yourmomshousepodcast.com. Uh, there you go. If you want to buy that i highly recommend it because they're going like hotcakes bro um oh see me live uh, i think by the time this goes up i will already have been in indianapolis but i will be in washington dc march 5th through 8th at the dc improv uh come see me do stand up there if you live there it's going to be cold as fuck right march oh, i hate that i hate cold uh, i'm drinking a tea now i'm coming down with a little something something myself but you know what I believe you can fight, you can fight these colds, you can fight a lot of illnesses by doing what my father does, and that's simply ignoring it. You know, everybody runs to the goddamn doctors at the first sniffle, at the first ache, at the first pain. Stop it. Just use your mind. <laughs> don't, don't do that. No, do that. Because here's why. Uh, in my opinion, medical science, a lot of times, they know what they're doing, Okay. But then, you know, a lot of the other times they're like, I don't know what's wrong with you. For instance, this is kind of disgusting, but I'll share it with you. I had um, a situation, a little urinary tract situation. Okay, this is like, I don't know, two years ago. And I go to this doctor, I go to my primary doctor, and then I go to the GD specialist. I drop $800. And then this guy, at the end of all these tests, he's like, yeah, you know what? I, I don't know what's wrong with you. It's just one of those fluky 
things. I don't know. You have no infection. You have nothing wrong with you. I don't know what it is. It'll clear up itself. You see, that's what I'm talking about. They don't know everything. Medical science doesn't have all the answers. You know. You know what your body's doing. You know what's up. That's why I just drink tea. I keep myself calm. I try to sleep. And also what helps is having traveled the world a few times. (laughs) When you travel across America, you know, every year like I do, you sit on disgusting airplanes uh, full of filthy, germ-carrying human beings. And I've managed to have every single cold known to man in the course of like two years. And that's why I think I believe I have a super immunity to colds and viruses and such. But anyways, the point of the story is, here's what I want to talk about. Fifty Shades of Grey uh, debuted in the movie theaters this week because I'm recording this on Monday, the 16th of February. Let me see. I think it made something like $80 million, like $80 million dollars. It's debut weekend. Hold on. Let me let me just Google this so I'm not misleading you. Let's see. Fifty Shades of Grey. Jesus Christ. Here's the this is my favorite. This is from theverge.com. Fifty Shades of Grey made a bunch of money, and that's okay. <laughs> really? Who the fuck is writing these? That that's the the line? It's like that JC Penny commercial i don't know if you've heard it where it's like when it feels no no it goes uh when it fits you feel it oh no shit huh that's interesting okay 50 shades of gray made a bunch of money and that's okay oh <laughs> that's so stupid all right let's see here we go sub film that grows oh my god 235 million dollars globally and it's opening weekend holy shit Fifty Shades of Grey had the biggest opening weekend for a film directed by a woman, Sam Taylor Johnson, in box office history. It grossed $81.7 million domestically in its first three days, over $10 million more than the Catherine Hardwick-directed Twilight, which made $69.6 million in its debut. Holy mother of Christ. (sighs) What the fuck is Fifty Shades of Grey? Let's talk about it. Let's get into it, man. But first, let's have a little appropriate intro music. Because you know I'm not going to leave you without the appropriate intro music. Um, This little jam goes, this takes me back to my adolescence in Los Angeles. I used to go to these, I'll just say it. I I used to go to these S&M themed discotheques. They're not called discos anymore. The discotheques dance clubs. Back when I was a goth girl, uh, they had these S&M themed clubs and you know i didn't even know what the fuck snm was i'm not even sure i do now quite honestly but i knew that i liked the aesthetic i liked that people were in a lot of black i like i like how catwoman dressed you know what i mean um the music was kind of cool and weird stuff happened weird stuff happened i was probably i was 15 years old far too young to be in an snm club but uh let me tell you Form to I am today. All right, here's the intro song. You've got 
I did a year abroad there. I studied at Oxford and I studied there in 19, I believe it was 96 to 97. And I remember going to London, going to the nightclubs and seeing these flyers posted everywhere in phone booths. Remember those? <laughs> there were phone booths and you used to go in there and you'd plunk in some change and you could make a, a phone call in public to another human being. So bizarre. They're so filthy though. They really were unhygienic. But the point is there were... Uh, Flyers, like these little flyers that they would hand out for dominatrixes and for, <laughs> I guess, services where you could go and get spanked. Um, and my, you know, my little 19 year old brain was like, what in the fuck, man? What is that? Um, and I never thought that kind of scene would see the light of day. And, um, you know, as a goth, I, I read a lot of Anne Rice books. She wrote the Vampire Chronicles, you know, the Vampire Lestat and all that. And I remember when the those movies came out, the vampire movies, all us goths were super in arms because we were like, what? what? Who? Brad Pitt's a vampire? Oh, yeah, right. What? Tom Cruise isn't a vampire. It's very upsetting when that's your scene. And then Hollywood comes and like suckifies your scene. And that's how I imagine fans of, um, you know, legit people that are into BDSM are probably feeling right now with this Fifty Shades of Grey uh, Hollywoodified nonsense uh, sanitized Target apparel merchandise. Did you know that they're fucking selling like Fifty Shades of Grey merch in Target next to children's toothbrushes, which I find hilarious and fantastic. But it's just, it's, I you know... I imagine right now that people in the BDSM community are just like, what the fuck? What? This isn't even real. You know, they're not even doing it right. This is bullshit. I get it, man. I get it. Yeah, because here's the thing. I tried reading Fifty Shades of Grey. All right. I own a nook. And one of the best parts about owning a nook is that you can download books that are so embarrassing to read in public. And honestly, if my husband knew the dumb crap that I read on my nook, he would probably divorce me. Let me let me just read you some amazing titles right now that Christina Pajitsky, you're, you're gonna, this is so stupid. First of all, I, I did download Fifty Shades of Grey about two years ago. I got 100 pages, 100 pages in, Okay, to the first book, 100 pages into Fifty Shades of Grey. No sex, no sex, no S&M, nothing. Now, I don't advocate violence towards women, but I was like, somebody better hit this bitch right quick because I can't take 200 more goddamn pages of exposition 
And that's just so great. I just got, I'm sitting here talking. I just got a text message from a, my girlfriend. It says, finally banged my new black boyfriend. So there you go. But the point is, I just got that text. <laughs> finally banged my new black boyfriend. All right. Thank you for that interruption. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, 100 pages in, and there's no, there's just, there's nothing doing here. There's nothing exciting. When I was a teenager, I used to read these Anne Rice books, like I said, and they had, she had a spinoff series that she wrote under a pseudonym. Is that how they say it? A pseudonym. Let me, let me, let me find this shit for you. This will make your toes curl. The Sleeping Beauty Quartet, okay? It was a series of four novels written by Anne Rice under the pseudonym of A.N. Rocalaire. I never knew if I was saying that right in my head. You know when you read a word forever and you're like, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing this right, but in my head, that's how I'm saying that. Rocalaire, you know, it's, it's like my stepsister. She would say the word, she read the word ricochet as ricochet. <laughs> what a dope, right? <laughs> It's okay. For the longest time, my husband just caught me. I was saying, I was, I was like, I said the word com- combative wrong for the, like 38 years. I bas- I've basically been saying combative. And my husband was like, babe, that's not, it's not even close to being the word combative. It's so embarrassing. Okay. So anyways, Anne Rice, the queen of goth, as far as I'm concerned, an amazing talent, uh, her books, you know, those vampire books were very, very deviant in that they really challenged uh, normative ideas of sex, of gender roles, of homosexuality. For instance, the vampires had mates of different genders and sexes. Gender is a, what an identity, sex is your physicality. Right? Okay, so vampires live for like hundreds and hundreds of years, right? So like you know, a vampire, Louis, the main character, or Louis, I guess he's French or whatever. Dude, like he would have like a male companion for 500 years or so. And they don't have sex because they're vampires, but they would like kick it and bro down together. And that was totally normal. And then, you know, he might, maybe he'd go with a lady for the next millennium, millennium. And it was, it was no big whoop. And the tones were totally homoerotic. You know, you're supposed to infer that these guys were excuse me, homosexuals, and it was awesome. So anyways, here's what I'm talking about, all right? If you really want to read some hardcore, nasty shit, some real dark, uh, dark essence, like, I mean, real talk, check out the Sleeping Beauty series uh, by Anne Rice under her pseudonym, A.N. Rocolaire. And man, you got stuff there. You got, you got femdom, male dom scenarios, Everybody's bisexual, homosexual. There's pony play. Pony play. People people acting like horses, riding each other. Here we go. F-O-B- F-O- F-O-B- 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 F
I'm reading this off of Wikipedia. Ephibophilia is the primary exclusive adult interest, sexual interest in mid to late adolescence. Oh, shit. Generally ages 15 to 19. That's that's in the Anne Rice books, my friends. Ephibophilia. You know who was an ephibophilia? Ephibophiliac? R. Kelly. He's into 15-year-olds. That's a very specific age. It's a weird thing. Who else... I think Elvis Presley was banging Priscilla Presley, who was 15. It's a really weird, it's a very particular thing when dudes are into um, 15-year-old girls. And let's face it, uh, it's mostly guys banging 15-year-old girls. Okay, there's not a lot of the other way around. Okay, Okay, here we go. I'm going to read you an excerpt of the Anne Rice. Holy moly. Hold on. There's always spanking and pubis his thumb on the top of a pubis. This is, I can't even read this. I'm so embarrassed to even read it out loud. Oh yeah, here we go. Here we go. They were plump and firm, these breasts. She'd been 15 when the curse struck her. She's sleeping beauty. So she was 15. You see, there's the number, magic number, 15. And he bit at her nipples, moving the breasts almost roughly so as to feel their weight. And then lightly, he slapped them back and forth, delighting in this. Okay, that's that's Anne Rice. And there's a lot of spanking, I remember, and pinching and clasping and, you know, horking and vomiting and shitting on each other's chests. And I don't know, they're, you know, semen everywhere. That's Anne Rice. Now, I'm going to read you an excerpt from Fifty Shades of Grey. This is the uh, McDonald's version. Oh, Jesus, mother. I just read a sentence. I'm going to... Wait, where is this stupid thing? I found the dumbest one. Oh, here. Hold on. Oh, for fuck. Here we go, guys. Page 124 of Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) (laughs) Little background. The character, lead character, her name is Anastasia. And, you know, she's very, she's virginal. She's uh, this young ingenue in college. I don't know what's happening. I'm so young. Everything's so new. (laughs) She's, you know, just this wide-eyed sweet lamb. No personality. And she, she meets this guy, Christian Grey, who's like, you know, a tycoon of industry. He's this strong, dominant, successful man. He owns a helicopter with his company name on it. He owns houses. He's successful. He does positive affirmations. Yeah! (laughs) He's a winner. Um, And he also convinces her to be his submissive in his, uh, you know, he's a dominant and she's a submissive and he has like a fuck dungeon and she has to sign a contract that's paperwork. Like the contract says that he'll, she'll live with him and um, she'll work out like f- four times a day. But she negotiates that down like three times a day or something like that. And then <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah. Okay. So then they, you know, they have a lot, tons of sex, but it's kinky. So I'm going to read you. It's so it's so funny how this is written. It's like embar- why am I embarrassed to read this stuff? I'm, that, I think that speaks more to me that I've I've like severely repressed sexuality that I am I'm just embarrassed. And a lot of people think I'm I'm way out there 
you know, but I'm, I'm really vanilla, man. This stuff is not my bag. It's just, maybe it's that Catholic school guilt for so many years. It probably is. I'm pro- I talked to my therapist about this. Okay, here we go. 50 Shades of Grey, page 124 on my nook. I'm so embarrassed that I own this. Here we go. I long to reach around and embrace him, touch him, but he has my arms trapped in the towel. (laughs) I'm soon lost in his kiss. He cradles my head, his tongue exploring my mouth, and I get a sense he's expressing his gratitude. Maybe for my first blowjob? Question mark? Whoa. She says that. She goes, whoa. (laughs) Was this girl raised in the valley like me? I think she's a valley girl. He pulls away, his hands on either side of my face, staring intently into my eyes. He looks lost. Say yes, he whispers fervently. Oh, so he goes, say yes. That's a fervent whisper. I frown, not understanding. To what? Yes, to our arrangement. To be mine, please, Anna. He whispers, pleading, emphasizing the last word of my name. He kisses me again, sweetly, passionately, before he stands back and stares at me, blinking slightly. He takes my hand and leads me back to his bedroom, leaving me reeling, so I follow him meekly, stunned. He really wants this. (laughs) All right, let's fast forward. What's he going to do to me now? An electric thrill hums through me. Oh, boy. Good girl, he breathes, his thumb brushing my bottom lip. He steps away in his closet and comes back with a silver-gray, silk-woven tie. Oh, boy. Hold your hands in front of me. So basically, he ties a wrist. boop a beep a boop a boop a beep a boop It's secure. Some Boy Scout. Some Boy Scout. He must have been to learn to tie this knot. Oh, boy. All right. See? I'm going to kiss you all over, Miss Steele, he says softly. (laughs) If my husband was like, I'm going to kiss you all over, Miss Pajitsky, I don't think I could. I would laugh so hard. I'd be like, is this for real? Are you for real? Is this for real? Here. Let's play the... Have you heard the trailer yet for Fifty Shades of Grey? I'm going to play it for you right now. We'll see. Oh, oh. hold on. I got to turn the out. Here it goes. I'll describe to you. So it's as universal. So this is just an interview for the newspaper. Oh, I'm so timid. Is this a building? I just building? have a couple of questions. I'm in an elevator. What's that? Mr. Grey will see you now. Oh, I'm such a mess. My sweater's so frumpy and dumpy. I'm not sure of myself. Oh, but his office... What was he like... He was polite, intense, smart, really intimidating. No. Do you have any interests outside of work? What about you? What about you? Do you have a personality? I'd like to know more about you. There's really not much to know about me. (laughs) Look at me. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's the best. There's not much about me. I mean, look at me. I don't have an identity. I am. Oh, but he can see her. To what do you owe your success? I exercise control in all things, Miss Steele. It must be really boring. Oh, boy. They're Frenching in the elevator right now. 
capable of leaving you alone. Then don't. I had a rough start in life. Steer clear. <laughs> That's my favorite. That's my favorite. I had a rough start in life. You better stay away from me. That is my absolute favorite theme in um in like fe- female literature is when the guy tells you, "Hey, I'm a real creepo. I am a damaged piece of shit. Do not tango with me." And she's like, she sees that as a challenge. Like, what? <laughs> I'm in love. I got it's the same reason Sex in the City is so bonkers to me. I, I listen, as a guilty pleasure, I like Sex in the City because it's like the only show like that, right? So I've watched every episode. I I know it. I get it. But when they had that movie where they go to the Middle East and then they party in the Middle East, get your life, Sex in the City. Okay, I've been to the Middle East. You don't go there. It's not a party. All right. It's not it's not it's really not that cool for us broads, okay? Uh but the point of the Sex in the City movies and the story with with Carrie and Mr. Big is that if you chase a man long enough, if you just wear him down, if if he treats you like crap, that's okay. Just keep at it. Just you keep chasing that man and eventually he'll change. He will change, become a good person and be everything you want him to be. Now, I'm not sure there's a possibly worse possibly most more terrible message than that for women uh which is the guy tells you he's a creeper he's like hey here's my red flag you pick up that red flag you dye it pink and you're like no that's cool let's let's carry on okay so let's see the rest of this trailer it, this is it's just killing my spirit here it goes beyonce i don't do romance looking so very singular you wouldn't understand Now he's opening the key, the door to the fuck dungeon. Uh oh. <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh oh. No, no, no. All right. There we go. 50, 50 shades of gray. Or in my house, it's 50 shades of brown because all we talk about is pooping. Um, wow. Where to begin? Okay. Look. Look. I get it. This is a beloved series of books uh by just a gazillion people it's so interesting to me that why why is 50 shades of gray what about it is resonating with uh, american women and let's be honest i'm pretty sure most of it is women people like my cousin who um you know my cousin she's a stay-at-home mom uh she lives in a suburb here in california and the highlight of her life was when the Forever 21 opened in the mall. And she posted it on Facebook. She was like, oh my God, Forever 21. So I get it. Like that's, but that's, I'm not diminishing that. That's her jam. Like that, like I get excited when a new episode of Downton Abbey comes on. I'm like, fuck yeah. You know, Jeff Lewis, a new season premiere of Flipping Out comes on on Bravo. I'm geeked. So on the one hand, like, yes, am I making fun of Fifty Shades of Grey? Absolutely. I'm taking a dump on it thoroughly just because it's not my cup of tea, but I respect it. 
And from a feminist perspective, I do have to go, hey, am I being the asshole here? Am I putting down that which is feminine? Am I trivializing uh, something just because of its femininity? Maybe. Quite honestly. I mean, look, I got mom issues. Uh, I go to a therapist to deal with, uh, <laughs> with, with issues of that nature. And yeah, I am being a bit of a sexist pig about it. So I take credit for that. I don't. I think we should allow people to like what they like. Look at the fucking trailer on YouTube. I'm looking at it has 58 million views. 58 million. Okay. So why? Why is this so... Why, what is so compelling about uh, the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise, about the theme? Is it troubling to you? Yes, here's why. Personally, I mean, at first blush... I saw this book. I, I wanted to read. I wanted to like it because I, you know, I want to know what's going on in culture. But if the, the the minute I kind of got the gist, so the, the, what happens in Fifty Shades of Grey is, yes, she becomes his um, submissive. And before anybody even starts emailing me about how little I know about S&M culture, don't bother because I know it, bros. Like, I'm no, I'm no expert. Okay. All I know is from what I listen to on the Dan Savage, Savage Love podcast, uh, my understanding of S&M is pretty bad. I don't even know if I would consider it basic. Here's what I know. I, I don't consider it to be some uh, horrific perversion the way that society and I think this movie makes it out to be like like somehow these people are deficient morally or deficient um, or sexually deviant. I don't, I don't think so. I think just on the spectrum of sexuality, you've got people who are kink is that way. And some people like me who I'm terrified and I'm vanilla and, and that's just that. So, and Anastasia, Anna becomes his submissive. They play in his dungeon. Now here's my problem is that it's all well and good. It's all safe and contained because it doesn't run the danger of being transgressive or being, not heterosexual friendly because surprise, surprise, she becomes pregnant with his child. They get married. And now all the quote, dirty kinky stuff is condoned. It's safe. It's heterosexual. It's Christian. Uh, <laughs> we've contained it within the system of society and everything is all good and well. Now that's my problem with it. Cause I, it starts off great. Like, yes, yes. Let's be subversive. Let's stick it to the man. Uh, let's, let's, you know, let's subvert the paradigms of what, what heteronormative shit is. And then it just goes right into it. Much like the Twilight series, which this is an off, this is an offshoot of the Twilight series, which I'm also a fan of to a degree. We'll get into that in a minute. But, um, yeah, my main, my, my initial reaction to hearing this, the plot of this, of this was, oh, this is clearly a backlash against feminism. This is some kind of a reaction to women not wanting or not knowing how to deal with the power of equality. You know, maybe this is a cultural backlash towards the feminist movement of maybe it, maybe it harkens back to, you know what, maybe I just want to stay home and, and be taken care of. Maybe this guy, maybe I want a man who, who can take care of all my needs and, you know, I just I just stay home and be his his suck puppet in this case. 
But then my friend Matt Bronger and I were talking about this and he said, I don't know if it's so much a female need as it is a human need to want to be cared for, to have all your needs met. And I thought, yeah, you know what? I get it. I get it. So maybe on that, that's one level of this is the human need of just being cared for, of of being adored. Because as you can uh, read, as we read the, the dialogue, he wants me is what she says, right? He needs me. He, he really wants this, sorry, is what she says. And I think that really speaks to the human condition, right? Of Don't we all just want to be wanted? Is that not the most to be wanted, to be heard? Uh, God knows why. I mean, why else do I do a podcast for fuck's sake? It's to be heard, to be validated, to be seen. And I think that really taps into a human need, not such a, a female need, but it is interesting why it's interesting that housewives are drawn to this. Like, <laughs> it, it's just, it's so great. Cause I remember sitting on airplanes a few years back and just seeing women like normal looking Midwestern mom types reading 50 shades of gray on an airplane. And it was totally fine. It was, it's kind of awesome that way. Um, also, a lot of feminists take issue with this Fifty Shades of Grey because uh, people see Anastasia as being submissive, as, as that being powerless. And I don't necessarily agree with that assessment because from what little I do know of the S&M community, BDSM community, um, is that submission is is uh, very powerful too. It It takes a lot of power to be passive and that is the feminine element right the masculine is the injecting element the yin and the yang and women are the receptive the passive but still powerful but still part of the dance of life and creation right the yin yang you gotta have one to have the other and um yeah i don't think they get it all right so there you go there's uh oh what was I going to say? Oh, oh, here's what kind of bummed me out about this film is um, at the film. I haven't seen it yet, but about the book is that I do. What bothers me is the childish nature of her sexuality. I find that. So she's a virgin when she meets this guy. And then the very first time she has sex, she has an orgasm, <laughs> which, you know, Hey, I'm sure in the in a I'm sure there's just thousands of women listening to this right now going, yeah, I mean, what virgin the first time she had sex didn't have a fantastic orgasm. So it seems a little bullshit to go from like zero to varsity level sex, right? Come on. Come on. And and let's be real. Most of us don't go from innocent virgin to dungeon play. It's just not it's really, it's fucking so unheard of. As far as I know, I don't know anybody. Maybe, maybe you. I don't know. So this is part of an adolescent sexual fantasy. It's very safe. Like we said, it's very Judeo-Christian heteronormative. Uh, yeah, I don't like that. And this does come from the Twilight series, which is, <laughs> I got a love-hate relationship with Twilight as well. On the one hand, do I like vampires? Hell Yeah. Okay, am I not goth on the inside? Absolutely. But the Twilight book, too, it was kind of a bummer because, again, it starts off as this, like, subversive, cool thing. This teenage girl has to choose between 
Edward Cullen, the the slimy, pasty vampire guy, and then the other guy uh, who's like a wolf, right? He's his sexuality. He's very feral. He's very, uh, you know, Team Jacob, right? Yeah. Oh, Jacob, 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 Jacob. Here's we go. Here's the delineation. Edward will go down on you, but Edward won't eat your ass because Jacob will. That's the essence of Twilight is that, yeah, Edward will go down on you, but Jacob will eat your ass. That's the distinction between the two. And at the end, she went with Edward, who was safe, but kind of a prick because he abandons her at one point in the series, right? Like, doesn't she, she's all sad for a while. She's all, oh, my feelings, boo-hoo. And then he never comes, he's a dick. Edward's kind of a dick, but whatever. He ends up with her. Uh, but vampires have always been around as devices for female sexuality, right? It's a way to express repressed sexual desires in a safe way. Uh, the incubus, the succubus, you ever heard of those? Those demons that used to come to women in the middle of the night. Um, I think they're a metaphor for some kind of repressed sexual desires. Much like this Fifty Shades of Grey, there is something in the zeitgeist. Something that America's uh, women are going, yeah, let's fucking, I want to do this. I want to... I want to, <laughs> I want Edward, um, no, I want Jacob to eat my butthole. We talked about that. Okay, hold on, hold on. So there you go. I thought the interesting part of this philosophy to bring up would be to bring up Foucault. Foucault, Michel, Michel Foucault, one of my absolute favorite philosophers, philosopher. I love Michael Foucault. I, I thought I would bring him up in relation to S&M because Michael Foucault was a French philosopher, philosopher, uh, fairly recent. I want to say like he was around in the 70s, 80s. Let me make this, let me look this up, not make this up. Shit. Just to make sure I don't lead you guys astray. But Foucault was like one of these sexy philosophers, much like um, Jean-Paul Sartre, much like um, Jean Baudrillard, much like uh, pretty much all the French guys are just like these cool libertine. Oh no, he was born in 1926, Foucault, and he died in 1984. And if you look up Michael Foucault, F-O-U-C-A-U-L-T, this guy, I mean, he looks like Uncle Fester. He's got the head of Uncle Fester. His teeth are just like Uncle Fester's in the Adams Family movie, the movie one. And he took to wearing turtlenecks. It's funny. I think that became his signature look is what this text says later. And I've seen a million pictures of him like that. Such a, it was, that was such like a 70s and 80s thing, right? Like the turtleneck, bro. Come on. My mother used to make me wear turtleneck. Oh, shit. I hated it. Oh, my gosh. Wait, hold on. Hold on. So he had a pretty um, wild, wild personal life, which I can't even... I mean, how much time do you have? Uh, he was a gay man. And um, a lot of his writing is about power and knowledge systems in society. He took part in the San Francisco bathhouse scene and unfortunately contracted HIV and um, I believe that passed away of AIDS. But I just loved this guy, right? Because imagine me, I'm a 20-year-old, 21-year-old girl, and I'm smoking cigarettes, and I'm full of angst, and I hear about this wonderful philosopher <laughs> who's into S&M, and, you know, who's a derelict. I think this is the guy for me. I love him. 
So I guess he went to Europe too. He spent much time in the Reparban red light district. Oh, was this in Germany? And entered into a relationship with a transvestite. Big, big deal. But back then, I guess it was a pretty big deal. So Foucault, big on power, big on knowledge. Uh, I highly recommend, this is one of the most fantastic books, in my opinion, in philosophy, is a book called, I have it here, Discipline and Punish the Birth of the Prison. Discipline and Punish. And it's got this great cover. You've got a, like a, a steel trap, like a bear trap, I think. <laughs> You've got a guillotine and, um, and a noose. It's so funny. And then like, a, I don't know, a brick wall with some bars on it, which is so funny to me. And then on the back, you've got a guy uh, in, a, in an Iron Maiden. <laughs> anyway, so Foucault, big fan. He was a big fan of Nietzsche, which, come on, let's face it, all the cool guys are. And he goes into how, if we look at the history of punishment and of discipline, and by discipline, he means a traditional sense of discipline, like you would do push-ups, like the military you know, uh, self-discipline, normal, normal stuff. Like he doesn't mean in any kind of special philosophical sense. So here we go. Okay. So back in the day, back in like the 1800s, first of all, Foucault is, he's not, he gets a lot of shit from philosophers because they say that he's historically, how should I say, inaccurate, or he likes to fudge history to kind of go along with his theses. Uh, who knows? I don't care. I think what he does is pretty amazing in terms of opening your eyes to stuff that maybe you hadn't thought about before. And you go, oh, wow, man, like that's the kind of philosopher he is. Is he a strict logician? No. Are there going to be, um, you know, proofs and whatever symbolic logic theorems in his philosophy? No, he's French. They don't do it that way. So here you go. In the beginning, in the 1800s, uh, power was the sovereign, okay? If you eliminate the sovereign, you eliminate the power, his power. So the sovereign is the king. The king governs all the people. And you have this in uh, the book Hobbes' Levi Leviathan. All the people are under the sovereign. They make up the power of the sovereign. And how does a sovereign maintain power? He controls those, let's say, who want to transgress him. So let's say you do some shit back in the 1800s. You steal something or you try to overtake the sovereign. Well, guess what, motherfucker? You're going down. It's an eye for an eye back in the 1800s. And he's going to put your ass up on the scaffold. And he's going to take out the punishment to fit your crime. But the punishment is going to be corp corporal, corporeal, corporal. It's going to take place on your body. Because back then there was no system of like guilty or not <laughs> of like motive. Hey, is this person a good person? It was like, no, no, bro, you messed up and we're going to put hot pokers up your bum and we're going to draw and quarter you with horses and, and then we're equal. Bob's your uncle. We're all good that way. And I guess the thinking behind the scaffold scenes is that if you make punishment public, uh, there's a great deterrent quality to that, right? Like you're probably not going to steal if you see, you know, your neighbor getting hung or hanged, hanged. That's the proper way to say, right? Hanged because they stole some stuff, right? So there you go. Uh, the reason the scaffold scenes kind of fall apart with the sovereign uh, exacting punishment on people is you've got like the mercantile system coming up. Um, 
the old system's not working and that guess what? The crowds can overthrow the sovereign. You can't control crowds. Like let's say the crowd finds the person innocent that the sovereign is going to be executing. Then dude, you know, you can lose control. You can lose power. So power switches in society. Uh, how do I explain this? Sorry. I'm looking at my notes cause I haven't read this shit in so long. Okay. So if you look at how prisons have evolved over time, now, uh, how we treat our prisoners, we hide punishment. Punishment is behind closed doors. You seldom get to see public executions. And when you do, they are on like special television show, right? Like, like lock up. And you're like, no, I don't want to watch the guy get the injection, please. I can't. It's ooky to us. The, the thought, the thinking being that we were savages back then when we punish people in public. And now we're this enlightened group of people. We don't punish in public. We punish in private. Um, and also now the punishment, the discipline is internalized. How? Well, through the structure of societies, um, things like if you look at how prisons are set up, you know, prisoners, people can't do bad shit if they're getting woken up at five in the morning and then from five ten to five twenty, you know, they're allowed to brush their teeth, take a dump, get on their orange jumpsuit or whatever the heck it is they wear and then go to breakfast then until 5.30 you're eating breakfast and then 5.30 to 5.45 you're crocheting. I don't know what the hell prisoners do. You get to walk around in the yard a little bit, do some push-ups, maybe get a tattoo out in the yard, deal some drugs. But your life is regimented. And because your life is regimented, there's no time for crime. Now, look at the workplace. Look, maybe some, maybe you're in a cubicle right now. Workplace, time, schools, they're all sort of regimented. It's all about scheduling. And even we ourselves internalize this discipline. Now we schedule our days, right, in, in increments of hours and times. Comedians, not so much. I'm not very good at planning my my life, which is probably why, you know, I'm a fucking mess. But so there you go. So prisons, there's this guy named Jeremy Bentham. And if you've heard me say this on Duncan Trussell's podcast, I apologize. Just fast forward through this. There's this great reformer, prison reformer named Jeremy Bentham, British philosopher. He wants to convert prisons or chain or, or sorry, build a prison that would feature a thing called the Panopticon. Now the Panopticon is fucking rad, bro. It's going to blow your mind. Here it is. The Panopticon, it's a building, a circular building. Okay. And in the middle of the circular building, there's a tower, okay? But then on the outside of the circular building, okay, there's a circle around that tower, okay? And those are where, let's say, the prisoners are housed. And they're each in individual cubicles, right? Sort of cubicles, but fully walls so that they can't see each other and they can't communicate with each other. But the front and the back of every one of those rooms that the prisoner is housed in is clear. It's a clear glass wall and they're backlit so everything can be seen and to what's happening in that cell the key of the panopticon is that whoever's in the center right there's a center of the circle um and the idea being that there's a watcher in the tower and the watcher can see what everybody else is doing right but you can't necessarily see the watcher because of like What's that thing, that mirror glass? There's like a one-way mirror, for instance. Let's say that's the idea. So the theory goes that if you think you're being watched, the likelihood of you doing something wrong is far less. And that's kind of how 
our society runs. Um, for instance, right now, like I said, you may be sitting in your cubicle. Well, guess why it's designed that way, bro? So that, you know, you're not going to sit there and, and, and get on uh, that's deepropodcast.com during work hours. You got a boss who's going to walk by, who's going to see what you're up to. And the threat of that happening is, you know, it's scary to you and that'll put you in shape. And that's how we run society. This idea of, of, of the watcher. And, but it only works if you know that there is a watcher, I'm sorry, or that you know that there may or may not be a watcher in the tower. Now, how fucking crazy is that idea? Wow. 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 Now, Foucault takes this panopticon stuff and he says, you know, this is, uh, in this modern time, we, we self-discipline, you know, like Freud's, uh, super ego, you, it's in this system of discipline and in the system of surveillance that the self, the subject grows. Essentially, your soul is developed uh, in this system. And that, is that all necessarily bad? Well, it can be if you look at things like the human sciences. And the human sciences, I think Foucault had trouble with because they would catalog human behavior against this normal versus abnormal matrix. For instance, uh, you know, you go to school and how do they catalog us? They go, well, you know, you should all be getting A's. You should all be getting A's. Some of you are getting D's and that's not great. So you you identify yourself with being a D student uh, and that's kind of harmful, <laughs> but not always, right? Because then maybe you're going to be, you want to be a better student. Now, here's why I think Foucault has a problem in, in sexuality and in linking this to BDSM and that community is that he didn't, I don't think he liked the Freudian analysis of the study of human sexuality. And he felt that by cataloging people as normal in their sexual whatever's proclivities versus abnormal, you're outside of the margin, that that's really, well, it's a means of power and control to some extent, right? If we can take sexuality and sex out of the bedroom and categorize people and make them deviants, we can control them. Um, because it, you know, let's face it, things like S and M are a threat to a heterosexual Christian society. Not really, but that's the argument, right? I love it. Don't you love it when like hardcore Bible thumpers are super afraid of of homosexuals? That's my favorite when they're just I hate them homosexuals with their delicious penises and their tasty scrotums. I just wanna wanna suck and kiss um oh, no the fear it's just the fear it's the fear it's the fear it's so crazy man but anyways yeah that's his um part of it i mean look i can't get into this man's entire philosophy but i'm pretty sure that was his big problem was categorizing people as normal as abnormal deviant and also i mean obviously a man who practiced bdsm likes to explore topics of power not all forms of power are bad. So I don't want you to think like his whole thing is like, the man is bad, bro. It's not that. Some, some is good. Some ain't so good. Same with um, mental illness. If you look at the, he wrote a book called The History of Madness um, about the institutionalization of uh, mental illness and stuff. And he goes into sexuality. He goes into society. Very, very, really, really cool, cool shit, man. I really like Michael Foucault. I really like Nietzsche. I really like all this stuff. 
So there you go. That's it. Why am I so ooky about Fifty Shades of Grey? Am I a repressed BDSMer, BDSMer in the making? Is that what this is? No. I think I tried. I tried it in high school. Like, you know when you do with your high school boyfriend? We are like, let's tie each other up. Let's put like, ah. And then I did it. And I was like, meh. And I went to those clubs in uh, high school. Just like dance clubs. I saw some crazy shit there when I was a kid. And I was like, this feels a little dark. I'm not, I'm not that dark. Hold on. You know, one time I did get an email from a guy in the BDSM community. Let me look that up. Press pause. Okay, I found it. So this email came in a long time ago. I think on the Nick Yusuf episode, I mentioned sadism versus masochism. Went about, and I and I think my understanding was, one is that you take it out on yourself. Uh, the other is you take it out on the other. So this man writes, long-time listener. <laughs> I love when people, long-time listener, first-time caller. First off, he writes, neither one is about hate. Sadism taken from the French author, The Marquis de Sade, which I've seen that movie. Come on, what's that movie with him and that cute chick? All right, here we go. Sadism is about someone taking pleasure with inflicting pain or humiliation on someone else. Masochism taken from the Austrian writer Leopold von Sachmasch of Venus and Furs Vein is someone who gains pleasure in having pain or humiliation brought upon them. It should be noted that neither are necessarily even about sex and more generally about fulfilling something deep inside of them. Now, now he goes, now tell me if I'm wrong, but is that not deep, bro? <laughs> he writes, if you want to give Lou Dog a shout out on your next podcast. Well, there you go, Lou Dog. There's your fucking shout out, bro. Yes, I understand this. I think you're right. It's not entirely always about the sex act. It is something deeper. And what's really interesting is that humiliation, shame are all things you deal with in psychotherapy, bro. It is. Those are common themes in uh, psychoanalysis when you're trying to figure out what you're shameful about, what the fuck. A lot of it comes from your childhood, man. And then you're like, you go through it, you reenact it as an adult. Oy vey. Huh. Well, it's really interesting. If you are um, a BDSMer, let me know. Maybe we can have you on and we can talk more about this. But you know what I'm really interested in is those dominatrix chicks, man. I gotta tell you, that is something I could actually see myself doing that because I'm pretty of a pretty alpha female. And I've seen those videos where uh, ladies are kicking guys in the nuts. <laughs> I could do that. I could do that. But only if the guy wanted it. I'm not I'm not just saying like, I don't I don't just want to kick any random guy. It'd have to be a guy who was like, "Oh, pl- uh, please please just kick him. Oh, please, lady." I'm like, "Yeah, there you go, man." Yeah. Well, anyways, I hope you found this uh enlightening. <laughs> we covered 50 shades of gray and rice. My adolescent uh, good times, and we didn't, really, we didn't really talk about it, but I'll tell you what happened. One time I was 15, I was at this uh, fucking S&M bar. It was called Cinematic, and I don't know if it exists anymore. It was here in L.A. It was Santa Monica. Cinematic, like S-I-N-O-M-A-T-I-C. And they would play like, here, let me play some fucking, some jams. It would be like Thrill Kill Call. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Like Daisy Chain for Satan. Oh, this song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, I love this crap. I live for drugs. And there'll be go-go dancers. And I'll never forget. Look at me. I'm Foucault, man. I'm in a... I'm in San Francisco, man. Oh, this is in LA. So I go into the S&M and bar. <laughs> I love this song. Some club. You wear your best cool black cat lady outfit. Maybe some bondage bracelets. I live for drugs. Uh, you go find your friend, hopefully. You know, and there's dancers. Anyway, in the back room, I'll never forget, there was some like crazy S&M scenes and there was like this square ass dude like a total dad boner you know full like high you just imagine his day job it was high jeans it was some kind of a phone holster but back then it was a beeper holster and I remember in the back room just watching him like eat out some rando girl with one of those creepy leather masks on (laughs) and I was like yeah, I'm definitely too young to be here. This is not my bag, man. It's not my bag. God, I'm impressed. Exotic erotic ball in San Francisco. Been there, done that. That's horrifying. Not into that. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Well, the point is, look, whatever you're into, just be into it. Don't beat yourself up about it. You like Fifty Shades of Grey? Like Fifty Shades of Grey. You like S&M? Like S&M. You like vanilla? Like vanilla. Do what the fuck you want. You know why? It all goes by fast. We're all going to drop dead. You may as well get into the weird repressed stuff. It's interesting. My husband's always about that, right? He's always telling me what he's, you know, secret stuff. You got to tell your secret stuff to the one you love. Who else are you going to tell? Seriously, and that's another thing. Hey, if you're in a committed monogamous relationship and you got some weird stuff inside of you that you're just like, I got to do this. I got to do this. I'm so ashamed. I'm so ashamed, but I got to do this. Just fucking do it. Work up the courage and do it because you only live once, dudes, bros, ultimates. Try it all. Try it all. That's a bummer about me growing up in the 80s, the 90s. I grew up on fucking... HIV came out and there's panic hysteria. People didn't know how you could get it. My mother was a real asshole. She was always telling me how I'm gonna die if I have sex with people. So, you know, there you go. I didn't have I didn't bang enough strangers. But the reality is I'm I'm not that person. You know what I am? I'm a lover. I'm a lover. I'm a bit of a fighter at times, but I'm a lover and I, I like monogamy. I like the same person. I get that. Get that. I was never good at sleeping around. I tried having a one one night stand once in my life. I was miserable at it. I ended up marrying the guy that I was supposed to have a one night stand with. That's a true story. Don't tell anybody I told you that. It's fucking embarrassing. <sighs> Maybe in my next lifetime, I'll come back as like an adventurous sexual warrior. <laughs> it's never going to happen. All right, guys, that's it. Can you believe I rambled for an hour on my own? This is amazing. This is what Bill Burr feels like every week. It's a very fantastic Bill Burr. I took um, took a page out of his book and thought I would give this a whirl. And I enjoyed it. I hope you did, too. I will have guests again. It's just, you know what, bros? Sometimes mommy gets herself in a pinch. 
And um, it gets hard to, to come together. And I live out in the boonies. I live out of L.A. Because you know why? I can't take it anymore. I can't take L.A. anymore. Not, not L.A. Not the city sometimes. So I, I moved out of it. That causes problems for people wanting to do my show. There you go. I love you. Let's do some positive affirmations. Remember, you're a wonderful child of God. You're fantastic. You're going to do it. You're going to... You're going to be number one. You're beautiful. You're healthy. You're glowing. You're full of life. You're positive. You're going to enjoy your day. (laughs) You're going to enjoy your life. That's all you got. You got this one life. Enjoy it. Enjoy yourself, motherfuckers. All right. I love you. Philosophize with Philosophize with Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party. Our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's tea, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.